0: The one the, the darkness with a light. Praise the one who in into Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today's text is from Genesis chapter 49, and this is admittedly extremely difficult poetry. As I translated my way through it, it was not an easy one. But it gives us some things we can talk about, too. So let's read the text first. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble, and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the firstfruits of my strength. Preeminent, in dignity." and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence. Because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers, weapons of violence are their swords, let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company, for in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as a lioness, who dares rouse him? Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea, he shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant to forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels, so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Yahweh. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. up to the bounties of the everlasting hills may they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who who was set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf, in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them, blessing each with the blessing suitable to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field at Machpelah, to the east of Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field from Ephron the Hittite to possess as a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife. And there I buried Leah, The field and the cave that is in it were bought from the Hittites. When Jacob finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. This is the word of the Lord. As I mentioned at the outset, this is a poetic chapter, which means that the Hebrew that is used is going to be different than a lot of the normal Hebrew that's used, right? As you think of trying to make your poem work, you would use different language than you might otherwise use in order to make rhymes and rhythm and whatnot. And so it gets a little tricky to translate this text, and there's a lot of disagreement on phrases, even amongst English translations. And I'm going to point out the major spots that I myself found compared to ESV. But one question to ponder as you go through this one with your kids, which of these blessings are good and which of them are bad? Like, individually go through them one by one after each of these sons is mentioned. Was that a good blessing or not? Might be a good way to be able to think about this. So, Jacob, as he nears death, summons the sons so that he can tell them what will happen in days to come. Jacob admits himself that this is a prophetic act as he blesses his family. Reuben starts us, and Reuben's is bad, right? He is described as the firstborn, which he is. The strength, the first fruit of my strength, and that's Jacob's strength, which is that there is more to come, a reference to the fact that all of these children are born to him. Also, though, Reuben himself is preeminent. The word there could actually be translated exceedingly as well. So he's exceedingly dignified and powerful, and yet he's unstable like water. Just gone. You think of water disappearing, sinking into the ground, being no more, can't rely on it etc. So he has squandered his preeminence. By going up to his father's bed, he sleeps with Bilha, dad's concubine, in Genesis 35 verse 22. 1 Chronicles chapter 5 verse 1 agrees that this is the reason for which the inheritance is stripped away from Reuben, and instead Joseph, through Ephraim and Manasseh, is viewed as the firstborn. Simeon and Levi, bad and bad, come next, and this is a chapter 34 connection, as Dinah, their sister, is raped. They trick the men of Shechem into getting circumcised so that the two peoples can become one. And then when they're recovering from being circumcised, Simeon and Levi draw their swords and kill all the men in the city. Jacob bypasses them with the inheritance as well for that act. And so what we see here actually ends up feeling like a disowning. Let my soul not come into their council. Let not my glory be joined to their company. He wants nothing to do with them or their ways. It's intriguing because later on it's going to be the tribe of Levi's violence as they take up the sword in Exodus 32 that has them set apart to be uh, the priesthood and the Levitical tribe that they they become as we know them in in most, most of the Old Testament. With the golden calf incident, Moses asks that anyone who would take the Lord's side would come to him, and the Levites come, and they strike down their own brothers that day as punishment. For having made the calf. However, back to our context, in their anger they killed men, so they destroyed every man in that city over the rape of their sister, which was done by only one man, and in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. That could be taken one of a couple of ways, Uh, hamstrung, that they tied up their hamstrings, right? They tied them together so that they could lead them away. They bound them, essentially. The other, though, is the possibility that this is a military term, in which case um, they have cut the sinews in their legs, making these beasts of burden worthless, that they cannot any longer serve man and do the plowing of the field, etc. So Jacob curses them, actually, uses the word curse. I will divide them in Jacob, scatter them in Israel. In the future, Simeon's tribe will essentially be absorbed into Judah, it's even surrounded by Judah to begin with, And Levi never has an allotment of land. His descendants will be scattered all through the people to serve as priests throughout the land and teach the people God's word. Now Judah and Joseph are going to have a tie here for the lengthiest of blessings, and they're both good. Judah's blessing starts us, it's threefold. His brothers will praise him. Uh, His hand will be on the neck of his enemies, that is, he will defeat them. And His brothers, father's sons, will bow before him, much like Joseph that they already had. So a lot of blessing there. He's described as a lion, having been a prey when he was just a cub, but now he's full grown. Now he's no longer a prey. Now no one would seek to mess with him. Who dares rouse him, right, like a lion? Verse 10 refers to his reign. Scepter, the royal scepter, not depart from him or from between his feet, which is a reference likely to the offspring that come. Saul, David, Solomon, Rehoboam, the first four kings of the nation of God's people, all from Judah's family tree. And then they divide, but the southern kingdom of Judah, that remains true. All of their kings, all 19 that would come, they're all from Judah's family tree. Second Samuel 7, the promise that from his descendants, one of David's descendants, would sit on the throne of Jerusalem forever. Now, there's a distinction here, until tribute comes to him. The word tribute there, I have got it as Shiloh, which means rest or rest bringer, and that could then be a reference to Jesus himself, until Jesus comes. The staff shall not depart from Judah pointing us to the Messiah who is to come. And indeed, that's what Second Samuel 7's promise does as well. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples, to Jesus, to the Shiloh, to the rest bringer. Verse 11 and 12 are a great picture of the wealth that Judah will enjoy. He will tie his donkey's colt to his choice vine. So you think of a vine, a vineyard, producing grapes so that they can make wine. Would you tie up an animal to the best vine that you had? No, because what's the animal going to do? He's going to eat it. But so rich and wealthy will Judah and his descendants be, it won't matter. Yeah, let the donkey eat it. That's fine. We've got more. Same picture with the, the garments being washed in wine instead of water. So plentiful will the wine be. Eyes darker than wine teeth whiter than milk. Again, uh, so rich is their diet now that they're, they're physically well. Zebulun and Issachar kind of switched around birth order wise here, but Zebulun's first, his is going to be a good blessing, essentially a peaceful life by the sea, that even his cities will become a haven for ships, merchants will come and rest in his towns. His border shall be at Sidon, That's 35 miles to the north-northwest of the Sea of Canareth, or the Sea of Galilee, uh, depending on which Old Testament, New Testament name you like for it. Then you've got Issachar. His is going to be negative. He's described as strong, like Reuben was, but he's crouching between... ESV goes with sheepfolds. This word could be translated saddlebags, or even ash heaps, fireplaces... I, I go with the saddlebag translation because it connects to verse 15 very easily and well. He crouches between the saddlebags, so the, the what the donkeys would normally wear when they're working, the labor. He would have saddlebags hanging on either side of them, so they work until they're exhausted and collapse, and that's the picture of Issachar. Think of a man with weights on both shoulders, and he just works until he's exhausted and he falls over. It's all a resting place that so was good, he bowed his shoulder. He became a servant of forced labor. So things aren't going to go well for Issachar's family moving forward. Dan, as we come over to verse 16, shall judge. And the word judge is Dan's name in Hebrew. And this is a bad one as well. A lot of people don't take it that way, but I, I would. So he's going to judge the peoples. He's going to judge as one of the tribes of Israel. That can be a reference to Samson. Samson is the last judge of Israel, and he does come from the people of Dan. But he's described as a serpent, and as that happens, the study Bible points to that being Samson's attack of the Philistines. I connected instead to Genesis 3, to the devil, to the serpent who attacks and tries to crush the Messiah. Dan is going to be a people of contention and strife, and we certainly see that play out. And then a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels, so the rider falls backward. That's an easy thing to actually envision, right? A snake hiding in the grass. The horse comes by with its rider, and the snake bites the horse. And the horse freaks out and throws its rider to the ground. Negative picture here. And then we get verse 18, which comes immediately following that, right? I wait for your salvation, O Yahweh. It is almost like an interlude to the blessings Jacob cries for God's help Jacob cries for God's mercy and that it follows immediately after Dan strengthens the connection I was making to Genesis chapter 3 to that heel biting serpent because who is the heel biting serpent it is the devil who has come to crush us and yet as Jacob cries for mercy and salvation we know that God is sending one who will crush the devil's head who will rescue us from that heel biting serpent so jacob cries out as he's near death for god to save him gad is next his is bad um, raiders and raid those words showing up three times are from gad's name so it gets a certain play on words here the fact that he's going to be constantly attacked is not good um, then he's going to raid at their heels he'll attack at their heels is that a picture of strength that he's driving them out Or is it a picture like the devil's only able to strike at the Messiah's heel? Is it a picture of weakness? That his enemy is so much stronger than he is, and he's only able to fight back a little? I don't know, but either way, being constantly under attack is not a good place to be. Ashers will come across as a blessing, that he will be rich with food to the point where even kings would desire his delicacies. Naphtali is probably the most difficult of all the translations, to be honest. Uh, it's a good blessing. So he's a doe let loose. You picture a calf that you've had cooped up in a pen, a stall, and you open it up and you let them run, and you, they just sprint and leap and gallop and frolic all over the place. is described in that way. It's the second clause that's difficult. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. ESV's translation strikes me as kind of off. Um, The words there in Hebrew, depending on how you put vowels with them, could either say um, basically gives branches of antlers or gives beautiful words. So I think they take the branches of antlers as a a way to talk about fawns, trying to point you to the fact that if they're having branches of antlers, then they're having babies that grow and and get strong, I guess. Um, Let the word be the word, though, um, I take it the other way, giving beautiful words. Again, depending on how you put your vowels on these, these Hebrew words. In that case, it could be a reference to the people of Naphtali becoming those who enjoy poetry and song, or the most beautiful words of all are the gospel. So the idea that the gospel would be heard amongst their people, that would be a great blessing. Naphtali is going to be given the land on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, which in the future is where Jesus will spend most of his time doing ministry. So there could well be a connection there, that the words of the gospel will be heard among the people of Naphtali. It could also be that Jacob is, with this poetry, being extremely intentional of using such word plays and word pairs, even though they make it tricky for us today. Joseph's blessing is a good one, um, that he will be fruitful in contrast to the famine that we've been enduring here over the last many chapters. Again, another distinction in the poetry, his branches run over the wall. That would be a reference to fruitfulness, right? A tree that grows so abundantly that it even passes over the city walls. The wording here, though, isn't about a branch. It's about a daughter. A fruitful bough by the spring, a daughter runs upon the wall. And that connects to verse 23, which is a war picture. right? So Joseph will be fruitful, he'll have many children, daughter, right? many children. The archers bitterly attacked him. I do like the archer phrase, it's actually lords of arrows, kind of a cool phrase. Um, but archers is how we translate that. So archers are going to attack him repeatedly, severely, and yet he remains unmoved. His bow remains. He is victorious. He defeats them. And so the picture then is of instead of having your archers up on the city wall fighting back against the attackers who are uh, besieging your city, the city walls, there's children running around on them and playing because you've gone from a time of war to a time of peace. God has granted you peace. God has granted you this victory. It's a beautiful picture. And again, the poetry here, uh, very difficult to translate. So, his arms are made agile, so the swiftness at which he can keep firing his bow and arrow, by the mighty one of Jacob. So it is God who strengthens him. From there is the shepherd, capitalized, capital S, this would be Jesus as our good shepherd picture from john's gospel now again another translation note they take the stone of israel as a reference also to jesus in our esv translation i'm going to suggest from the hebrew that this should be that from there is the one shepherding the stone of israel so the shepherd is still jesus but the stone of israel is the thing that jacob values which is joseph his son so that Joseph's family is the stone, and that Jesus shepherds him, just as Jesus shepherd Jacob back in chapter 48, verse 15. Now, verse 25 and 26 are abundant blessings, that God will bless him with rain from above, so heavens above, rain to grow his crops, uh, from the deeps, that is, that the sea will be agreeable to him, so trade and commerce, probably the picture there. The blessings of the breast and of the womb would be a reference to many children, The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Abraham blessed Isaac. Isaac blessed Jacob. Those were profound blessings. Jacob is saying his is even more, all the more. All these things Jacob giving to Joseph up to the bounties of the everlasting hills, mountains that never end, a picture of blessings forever. Verse 27, Benjamin is good at first and then bad. A ravenous wolf divides devours at the prey in the morning, And the evening divides the spoil. So a war torn people, but what happens to a people that live for war? Eventually they die by war, and that will happen as well for Benjamin, that they're destroyed in war, even by their own brothers, the other tribes. So Judges nineteen and following, by the way, on that. These are the twelve tribes of Israel, and so their father blessed them. Again, they don't all sound like blessings, but this is what we have. The rest of the text, Jacob commanding his sons what he's already made Joseph swear to do, but now he's making sure, I guess, the other brothers don't interfere, that this is a family business, that they all bury him in the cave of Machpelah back in the land of Canaan, where Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, and Leah already are buried. Now, maybe a way to end this conversation as a family, and this could be a husband-wife conversation, but if your children are older, they might be able to jump in as well. How can we bless our children? Because we don't do this. We don't speak these kinds of blessings to our kids before we die. Not typically. This was very much a patriarch thing in Scripture as they passed down the lineage of the Messiah. But we can bless our kids. To bless is to gift. What gifts can we leave to our children? And there, are, there is no greater gift than to give them the beautiful words of the gospel of Jesus Christ who died for them and rose that they might live let us praise the Lord incarnate Christ who suffered in our place Jesus died and rose victorious that we may know God by grace let us sing.